Hi, Cecile. Thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? Really good. I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you today. Welcome to the International Civil Society Centre's Futures and Innovation podcast. I'm Vicky Tung, the Programme Manager for Futures and Innovation here at the Centre. This episode is the first in a mini-series leading up to our annual Scanning the Horizon meeting in May 2020. Scanning the Horizon is a multi-sector platform for horizon scanning and strategic thinking. It gives organisations the edge when it comes to anticipating change and making strategic decisions. Throughout this year, our community of international civil society sector strategists will be exploring how the major global trends influencing our work could interact with and influence each other to bring about a range of different potential future states which could shift the relevance and impact of these organisations in a big way. With that in mind, in this new mini-series, we will be talking to strategists and foresighters from different sectors to explore this meaty topic of understanding what we're calling the interconnectedness of global trends. Today, I'm really pleased to be talking with Cecile Wendling, Group Head of Security Strategy, Threat Anticipation and Research at AXA, one of the largest global insurers with 105 million customers in 61 countries around the world, empowered by its 171,000 employees. AXA's foresight work sits within its wider business critical efforts to anticipate emerging and global threats, which is led by Cecile. Futures thinking and trends analysis is an area where there's both significant opportunity and appetite with civil society strategists to share with peers from other sectors, including private sector practitioners. So we're really glad you're sharing your thoughts and experiences with us today. Thank you for joining me. So on the need to look forward and understand and be future-proof for different potential developments, this seems really obvious when you're in the global risk business. But please, could you explain why Foresight is important to AXA and the role that you and your team play for the company? Yes, Foresight is very important in the insurance business because you need to be able to anticipate what are going to be the risks coming up. When I say what are going to be the risks, it can be a financial risk, an environmental risk, a health risk. You need to anticipate them because you need to be able to uh, know their impact on the society and be able to have enough capital, enough money to cover for the risk. Another reason why you need to anticipate is also as an organization, not only as an insurance. Every organization needs to know, do I have the right skill? Do I have the right people to face the challenge of tomorrow? It might be that tomorrow your customer change. They have new expectations. They are maybe in other countries than they are today. So every time you have to adapt your organization to the changes happening around you. Changes from your customer, but also changes from regulator, policymaker, supplier, all the different stakeholders that you have around you. So foresight is needed as an insurance, is needed as an organization. And I will also say that foresight is something that needs to be embedded when you start a project because everyone is responsible to have sustainable projects. If you start a project using, for instance, a technology and then you realize five years later that this technology will not be available anymore, there will not be any cybersecurity of this technology or there will not be any updates in this technology, then you bet on something that will not be reliable on the long term. So, so this is why I think foresight is very important. 
And uh, I really, really believe that the long-term inclusion makes us stronger. It makes us stronger because we make sustainable decisions, we make inspiring decisions, people know where they are, and we make long-term decisions that makes an impact for the society as a whole. Thanks. And in this phase, is getting the right skills for tomorrow, that also means uh, what you need to do today in terms of everyday scanning, particularly around the big forces out there in the world. I know that AXA teams focus on four pillars in their day-to-day -day scanning. What does this look like in practice at an operational level? Yes, so indeed, we publish every year a trend book. And if you look at our trend book, you will see that we follow four types of big topics. The first types are what we call environmental topics. Uh, we are very uh, much involved in climate change and how can we be a sustainable insurer and contribute to sustainable finance. Uh, it also includes biodiversity and many other environmental topics. The second for us, which is very important at the moment at AXA, is health, because we know that health prevention will be very, very important, and we want to be able to anticipate uh, new types of risk, but also new types of solution to better serve our customer. So we have issued a report, for instance, on the future of mental health, because we believe mental health is a topic that needs to be monitored and addressed better. The third type of topic, we work a lot on socio-economic aspects, for instance, uh, inequalities, uh, financial inclusion, how can we better serve people that are today outside of the framework of insurance. And finally, the fourth topic is data and tech. We are working on the future of blockchain, AI. We really want to make sure we leverage all the opportunities in a responsible way, making the best out of the technologies, but also in a way that is trust-progressive, because of course trust is the, the most important. So for those four topics, what we do is we, we read and analyze what is publicly available. We also have AXA research funds, meaning we work with researchers in different university and research centers. We interview them. We are also collecting views of AXA experts inside the organization, their view on how the risks are changing, how the different topics of innovation are evolving. So it's an exercise that we do every year, and uh, there is uh, now uh, some of the summary of those exercises that are available for the general public. So I think uh, people can, for instance, look indeed at the, the report that we do, the foresight report. We also done a report with Eurasia uh, on the future risk, and I think this is clearly examples of where we share the foresight done inside to the general public so that every organization interested in those long-term trends can also have a look. Great. And taking the approach of looking at pillars or how these trends affect each other or work together can really help generate new insights and challenge assumptions which organizations hold, um, which makes them strategically and socially or business relevant. What kinds of new options and opportunities can emerge for organizations when you better analyze and understand these different potential interactions? Oh, the, what can emerge is very different from one topic to another. Uh, for instance, when you look at climate change and scenarios of impact of climate change, you can make decisions that are, for instance, regarding your investment to divest from carbon-intensive activities, because if you divest from those carbon-intensive activities, you know that on the long run, you will avoid climate change. 
So it can be a decision of divestment. It can be a decision to launch a new product. So when we have studied uh, the blockchain and how uh, the blockchain could be used, uh, we uh, decided to launch uh, smart contracts and make sure that we can better serve our customer with automated solution. Uh, we launched something called Fizi, which is a travel insurance uh, based on the blockchain. Uh, so it can be a, a concrete example is to launch a product. Uh, other concrete example, can be also to realize that you need more knowledge on a particular topic, so you can deep dive deeper um, and together with other people. So for instance, at the moment, I'm looking at quantum computing and what it can mean on the long term. And we are exchanging a lot with uh, researchers and, and many other innovators to understand what it means. So depending on the project, the, the consequence can be very different. So for me, when you do foresight, it should be really adapted to your organization, your project, and the vision that you have for your organization, but also for the society of a whole. Which vision, long-term, you have in mind, and how can you contribute to this? Thanks. And, I mean, you're, very, you're clearly very mature in your organizational ex experience and capacity and skills um, across, across teams for this kind of more complex analysis of scanning and foresight most of the organizations that we work with are at a fairly early stage uh, and learning journey of using this kind of strategic analysis and also have more limited resources available to do it. What lessons or recommendations do you have from your experience in this area for others beginning to set out on this journey in terms of um, hacks or quick wins? Yes. So the first thing I would say is follow what foresight uh, experts are publishing. So uh, I would like to say that every uh, every year there are a lot of foresight reports. I don't know a foresight report on the future of uh, artificial intelligence, another future of uh, risk. For instance, the World Economic Forum publishes every year a global risk report. So there are many many uh, think tanks, companies, uh, research centers that publish their own foresight. Uh, for me, the first step is uh, follow those publications. Uh, make it uh, something part of your day-to-day -day that you learn about topics that you are doing inside your organization from a view of a foresight expert. The second thing uh, is, once you have done that, it's not only about you, it's about your organization. How is your organization learning from it? So you can, for instance, have a newsletter where every month you share with your staff what's coming up on the future that might impact your organization. For me, this is the level one. Level one is raising awareness, sharing reports that are external reports, sharing short newsletters, so that people start to think there are something coming up. You know, I need to be aware of that. Second level of maturity is really when you have not so many topics, but for one or two topics that are of strategic importance, to say, okay, for those two topics, what can I do to be more sustainable in my decision-making? Have I asked myself the right question in terms of the upcoming expectation, the upcoming public policy, the upcoming technology, anything that regards your topic? And here, there are very easy strategic tools that can help you, like PESTEL, when you look at the political, environmental, social, legal, and economic, you, you have a list of five letters, so P for critical, E for environmental, S for social, and so on. So this is something that you can say as a check when you start your project. 
And the third level of maturity is really conducting a foresight study for your organization, saying, okay, as an organization, where do I want to be in 2030? Or on a specific topic, if my organization is focusing on, I don't know, uh, reducing uh, the number of suicides in big cities, okay, what is the future of suicide in big cities? On this specific topic, what are the key variables impacting the number of suicides, for instance? What are the key levers of influence? And then really do a foresight study. So for me, this is the three types of level of maturity. Finally, I would like to say that you can join forces. Maybe at your level, your small organization, you can't do it. But maybe there are 20, 30 organizations that have the same question. And then you can build a transversal group. And you can meet every month and share the foresight, share the vision. Not on things where you are competing or you are stepping on each other on foot. No, no, no. On topics that are very important for the future. And my feeling is, when it's a topic important for the future, companies, researchers, they all have interest to sit together and exchange on non-competitive issues. I agree. I agree completely with what you say there. That's exactly what we're trying to do with our group of um, civil society sector practitioners, but also ensure that, as you call it, the the level one um, resources from the likes of AXA and others who are really producing um, important insights from other sectors are brought into the, the, the thinking that the organizations have um, as tools to help them in this process. So thank you for producing that kind of insight as well for us to use. Focusing more on the specific topic which you picked for your 10th book for this year, why did you decide to look at the future of mind, health and well-being to 2030 and the different factors that are likely to shape this in the area of health, technology, the environment and socioeconomics? And what has really stood out to you as a result of the process? So the reason why we, we decided to tackle this issue is we looked at the figures and we look at what's happening around us, uh, specifically in certain geographies like Asia, uh, but also certain um, social categories of uh, single mom working, uh, having to cover for all the parents that are sick while still having small babies and so on. So we... We look at this, and at the beginning, it's more a weak signal. At the beginning, we're just realizing that maybe something is happening on the psychological health of people because you, you start collecting numbers, figures, and you see that things are going up. So first of all, it's being aware of those weak signals. The second thing is also uh, finding out blind spots because we realize that uh, in certain societies or in certain environment, uh, it's much more difficult to talk about mental illness or, you know, people feeling sad or maybe not so energetic. And this is not something you really want to talk about or share about. So it, it kind of got in a blind spot. So also the role of a foresight team is to say, okay, maybe there are topics that are in the blind spot, but that would need attention because some weak signals are showing us it's changing. And finally, for me, when you choose a topic, it's also conviction. We have a conviction we can make a difference. We, have, we can empower people to live a better life. And this starts with self-confidence, that people should know uh, they can. They can do things and they can feel better. And we're here to help. Uh, so for us, I think it was also uh, very important to say uh, we are not only paying the bill uh, when you go to a hospital. But if you start to feel challenged in your life, uh, you feel sad or you're going through very difficult moments, we should also be there for you. So it's a mix of scientific evidence uh, that you need to 
proof and check, but it's also a mix of conviction of where you want to go. After that, it's a lot of hard work. So it's a lot of interviews with experts, a lot of reading, but also a lot of workshops. Uh, we have, for instance, organized a Foresight Day in Milan where we gathered from the different countries the people working on mental health. And it's really the power of collective intelligence. Uh, this uh, this uh, book that you can see is, uh, reflect, uh, reflects the whole effort of a great number of people that, that work on it. And uh, for me, collective intelligence is important because nobody has a full view on the future. We all have our own bias, individual bias, uh, cultural bias, organizational bias. So the only way we can produce a long-term view that is coherent, holistic, and make a difference is this power of collective intelligence. After that, the conclusion of the report and what it means for each and every one of us needs to be adapted, obviously, to the local context, to the local situation, uh, but you still need first to go and develop and cross views and ideas. So this is the, the, the way it was produced. Uh, till now, it's uh, issued. And in, you will say, what's the impact then? Well, the impact then is step by step in certain countries to change the type of services, of projects that we are offering to better uh, target the needs that are not covered and where about uh, mental health. And I think the benefit that your analysis also um, provides is really to help others think about some of these new insights that they may not have considered already. Um, it's a really comprehensive report, and we can't cover it. We can't cover it in this interview. But there was one aspect which really struck me in particular, um, and I think will also be of particular significance to the uh, civil society organisations that we work with. Um, because all are focusing very much on climate change and how this is going to influence their future work. But you highlight in the report how future generations will have to deal with the consequences of a new environmental landscape and the mind health and well-being impacts of this. Uh, in particular, you focus on pre-traumatic stress disorder in relation to climate change but also very strikingly described the distress which people are experiencing environment, environmental change directly in their home environments as potentially becoming this century's new evil. And I think this, this look at the mental health uh, impacts of climate change is something that the organisations that we work with, which will continue to be working with different populations that are directly impacted, will need to think in, in how they're going to evolve their work to cope with that. So what were your key takeaways from carrying out this particular area of analysis? Uh, the first thing I wanted to say is the, the value of foresight is sometimes you bring topics together that are treated in silos. So today there are one type of communities of people dealing with climate change issues and another type of community of people uh, looking to, uh, into mental, mental health issues. The power of foresight is to bring the two together and realize there is a connection to be made. Because the experts working on climate change feel depressed when they see the results. And because on the other side, uh, the, the people that uh, have young adults coming to them or even kids and express their depression or their sadness, they mention climate issues. So the first power is to make this bridge. For me, what can we learn out of it? Uh, for me, the first thing is purpose. People need to think they can make a difference. People need to think they can be empowered to change things. And so most of the people uh, that were interviewed in the, by the researcher on uh, mental health and climate change is also because they feel overwhelmed by the topic where they think that on the day-to-day, -day, there is nothing at their level they can do to make it change. 
so this first level of making clear to the people what can contribute to, what is your part of the story, is very, very important. Uh, the second thing that I noticed uh, when I, we look into the, the topic is that these are topics that are evolving pretty fast, meaning that the perception and the feeling of people that are uh, 30 years old, 40 years old is very different from someone who is 12, 15, and so on. So there is a generation angle to the perception of the situation and of also the feeling, the emotion related to that. That it question also the, the, the relation we have to age and to generation. Uh, today we are also splitting different categories of age, uh, and I would like to say that uh, the decision makers are most of the time 40 or plus, but the people that feel the, the emotion and the sadness and the, the anger are uh, rather teenager today. So the question also is how do we question the governance of organization? the policy making, so that even the younger generation feel that feel they can be part of it. Um, and it's not only about communication, it's really about making them part of a dialogue in the society to find a solution. So there is certainly also a question of the governance of the issues at the global level, and who can be uh, taken into account, who has a word somewhere, uh, who can have the impression that in the complex governance of the topic it can be heard. Uh, and finally, uh, I think that the people that work more specifically now on depression and so on have a lot of difficulties to find out also the sources of the depression. And even when it's related to the environment, there are still a lot of debates if, uh, you know, uh, endocrinal perturbance or any other uh, thing that is in the food, in the water, how much our own environment is impacting the mental health of the people. Uh, how much the end of biodiversity or the fact that you cannot see snow and so on is really changing your emotions, your mindset. So for me, there are also much more research to be funded to really understand the difference in the perception of the day-to-day -day with climate change and how it impacts the mental health. Um, so for me, it's already things that we know and we can work on, but there are also things that we know we don't know that can be highlighted by your study and where we know further research will be needed. Right, and I, I have another question um, around the speed of organisational adaptation versus how climate change and and the interactions with other megatrends will, will play out. We have we have we have no way of predicting how the the climate risks and impacts will will change and how quickly. And it won't be a, a series of moving to a new state that then becomes normal. It will be a continuous adaptation to a series of never-ending, not new, non-normals. How can organizations which do have these structures and are slower to change really build this culture to be able to continue to adapt to the a rapidly, um, rapidly changing and unpredictable um, external environment? Uh, I would like to say you're totally right. There are different natures of risk and threats that we face. Some of them are called by foresight experts a boiling frog. Boiling frog is when you put a frog in water and then the water is cold, so the frog is happy, stays in it, but slowly, 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 the, you make the water boil and boil and boil. And because it's progressive and very slow, the frog stays in the water because the frog died because she doesn't realize the change is happening to her. And there are other risks and sweat that are very sudden, like a small bush fire, and that suddenly will be from one day to another very high. 
depending on the nature of the risk and threats, the type of detection and the signal of detection will be different. So first of all, it raises the question of being equipped to detect different types of risk and threats. That being said, while you are, let's say, a very big organization and there is a change and you need to adapt, there is a moment where people will say, oh, there is a change, we need to adapt at the beginning of the Gartner curve, and it's going to be a buzzword, it's going to be very trendy. And every year there are those topics. For instance, at the moment, and I believe it's a very important topic, responsible use of artificial intelligence is a very trendy topic. Many people are thinking on the long term, the use of AI on the long term, and so on. And at those moments, there are lots of people, lots of conferences, and the topic is very sexy and very trendy. The moment, the difficult moment, is not this moment. It's when, after one year, maybe people shift to another topic, then the momentum is not there anymore, and the effort, the resources, the thinking stop. And this is why, at this moment, you need people inside organization that hack the organization, and on their time, because they are convinced there's still something to do, start to bring new ideas, start to innovate, start proof of concept. And you always need to start sometimes like in an informal way because you believe this topic will make a difference on the long term. And once you have done the first proof of concept, where you have started to change the organization on small changes, then the objective is to snowball. Here too, there are organizations that are very good at starting, very good at having proof of concept, but find it very difficult to scale, very difficult to snowball. And this, again, is a barrier. And this, again, you will need the leadership. You will need leadership saying, we believe in this. And we will, make, we will give you the means to institutionalize your idea, to bring it to a next stage. So this is why it's possible, but you need to be aware at every stage, am I detecting the right topic? Am I only doing it because it's the bus, but can I continue beyond the bus? Uh, am I only doing a small proof of concept or do I have the leadership, empowerment, the money to bring it to another level? So you need to be aware that there are different gates in changes. Finally, changes in, in, the, in the mind, in the health, in, in the heart, it's something that people experience. And humans are scared of change. And that's normal. Change can be scary. So we should also accompany innovation by change of culture, change of mindset. Because if you, you can't change a topic, you can change a result if you don't change the mindset. Thanks very much. Um, I know you've just put out the Ken book, but what, can you give us any um, previews as to what we can look forward to next, seeing from AXA Foresight? <laughs> so, um, so now AXA Foresight is working very closely with AXA Research Funds. The, the teams have been merged, and I'm very happy about that because it means for me that research and academic uh, fundamental research will have a, a better place, even greater than it is today. Uh, on my side, I've moved to another position, but I'm still doing a lot of foresight in this new position because I moved to security. Uh, I'm, I'm preparing the security strategy of AXA, so for the safety, uh, the health and safety of our people, but the cyber security as well. And in that framework, I'm working a lot on the threat anticipation, uh, which is a lot to do with foresight. And I continue to work also on uh, emerging technologies, so quantum computing and security, or artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. Um, so I, I, um, I would say I continue the foresight, but really from a security angle. 
which I think is important. Uh, we we have at the moment the coronavirus. Uh, we know at the moment that many companies uh, uh, face uh, questions uh, regarding cyber attacks. So for me, it's very, very important that the knowledge of the foresight uh, can also uh, be uh, developed uh, in the security field. Uh, what I want to say to the, the people that listen, that whatever the field you operate in, foresight is, should not be a foresight department. Foresight, it's good to have a foresight department because they need to lead, they need to bring new methods, they need to bring new ideas. But foresight is our own responsibility. Having the long term in what we do and what we decide personally and professionally will make a difference. So for me, foresight is if you are in accountability, if you are in security, you can always use foresight. Thanks very much to Cecile and also for your thought leadership, which provides these all these useful insights to others in other sectors as well. Uh, that's all we have time for, but we're very much looking forward to continuing our joint learning and sharing conversations. I would like to thank you for this very interesting uh, initiative, because I, I believe that long term can make a difference if civil society, companies, researchers, uh, writers of novels, people producing series, movies, every one of us has the power to create a new future, a future we want to live in. And I really believe that exchanges on this future we want to have is the first step to have a sustainable and healthy planet around us. So thank you for that. Thanks a lot. You can check out AXA's Foresight publications at axa.com via the newsroom and publications. And you can check out the Scanning the Horizon reports via the Centre's website at icscentre.org. We'll also include all links in the description. Check out our website if you want to join this community. Many thanks again to Cecile and also to our podcast producer, Julia Pazos.